Well, thank you guys. Appreciate you leading us in worship. And uh, why don't you guys take your Bibles and go with me uh, to Philippians. We're going to be in the book of Philippians. And if you don't have a Bible, our ushers are coming around. You just uh, get their attention. They would love to give you one. If you don't own a Bible, take that one with you. It's a gift from us to you. We would love for you to study it with us where you can follow along with us on the Bible app. And we are going to be in Philippians chapter 4 today. And um, we are finishing up our series on the power of Thanksgiving. Thanksgiving has arrived this week. And uh, uh, honestly, we've been looking at some of the ways that, that Thanksgiving, some, maybe some surprising things that Thanksgiving has the power to impact and change in our lives. Uh, we've looked at the power of Thanksgiving for purity and, and for adoption and foster care, and for cheerful giving in our finances. And today we're looking at the power of Thanksgiving for joy. Now, uh, this is the season for joy, isn't it? Uh, like, and, and, and I realize that a lot of you have been like living in the spirit of Christmas all year, uh, but uh, especially those of you who are joining in, I, I'm curious, how many of you have your Christmas tree up? Just want to see. Okay, so these are the real joyful people in the room. All the rest of the Scrooges will get on board uh, eventually. But uh, for some of us, I, I know it, we're, we put our Christmas tree up because we're not doing uh, Thanksgiving at our house. We're leaving, so we felt like it was legit. We were allowed to do that. Uh, it is an awesome time, and we love it, okay? It's the season for joy. But can we just be honest? It, it, sometimes it's often the season for stress and anxiety. Anybody feel that? Uh, most of us already have enough going on in our lives between the stress and the challenges of, of, of work and, and our jobs and commuting and, and, and traffic and, and, and dealing with coworkers and management that sometimes uh, can be uh, stressful in and of itself. And then we got to come home and we've got the kids and all of their activities and their needs and we're juggling schedules and events and meetings and classes and, and, and time left over if we have it for friends and meeting up with people and everyday tasks that this, they have to get done, somebody's got to do it, and things that we're running around the house trying to take care of these things, and car maintenance, and bills that need to be paid, etc. Just, it just kind of piles up, doesn't it? And then you tack on the holidays. And, and, and it's fun. We love it. Um, but, but a lot of us are going to go spend some time with family this week, which is sweet. And uh, we, we love that, and, and that can be an exciting and, and, and uh, a great experience. But let's be honest, uh, that can be stressful all by itself too, right? And, and, and sometimes being with family is tricky. You end up having to like, play some family politics you know, with your siblings or with the in-laws or whatnot. Or, um, and, and maybe there's some uh, history there, some painful history. Maybe there's some baggage in some of those relationships. It just, it just kind of makes it difficult when we're going to be together. Or at least there's the stress of like different households living on top of one another for a couple of days, which is why I think that they invented Black Friday because they knew we just got to get out of the house at that point, right? And so, 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 But then that reminds you that you've got all of your Christmas shopping to do, which that freaks some of you out because you haven't even started and you're trying to think about like that perfect gift that you got to get for that one person that's really hard to buy for, and then you think about all the people on the list, and maybe, maybe you're like our family, we decided in, instead of like forcing everybody to buy presents for all the aunts and uncles and the cousins and all of this, like we, 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 we rotate uh, buying gifts for our, one of our siblings' families, right? And maybe, maybe you do it that way, so you're not having to buy quite so many presents, but this year you got that family with four kids, and you're like, that's awesome. 
And, or, or, and then you realize that you're kind of just like swapping gift cards back and forth. Like I buy you a $25 gift card, you buy me a $25 gift card. And we're like, at some point, like, does, does this make sense? Meanwhile, this is kind of sinking you further into the hole and, and, and you've already been plagued by the anxiety of your financial situation. Money's kind of tight and money can be stressful in and of itself. And then this season just kind of piles it on. And then you've got more things that you've got to add to the schedule and the calendar is just as full as it can possibly be. You've, you've got Christmas parties and, and you've got community events. You've got deadlines and, 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 and it's awesome. We love it. This is the most wonderful time of the year. but it can be pretty stressful, right? And, and here's, I think, where this is gonna be helpful for us because I realize that some of you already struggle with anxiety where you've got all the, uh, these, these everyday pressures that just, it's, it's just constant. And then on top of that, you, you live with these fears. You live... Um, Fears of, of the unknown, what's going to happen in the future, and you don't know where your job's going to take you or if you're going to get that position or where you're going to end up and if you're going to be happy once you do. And, and, and then there's health concerns and, and uh, what if something happens or what if this is serious and Lord knows you shouldn't look it up on WebMD. That's going to freak you out. And then, then maybe somebody in your family gets sick and this it's becomes scary. And, and, and so that, 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 that's throwing you for a loop. And then, then there's relationships and, and you know, what you know, when, when am I going to find that? And do people really like me? And people stress you out. And maybe being in a crowd and talking to people makes you sweat. Or maybe like, it, it kind of looks like being in a crowd. You like, you know, come alive. But at the same time, you just kind of feel uh, empty and lonely. And, and then you've got these big questions about life. And you're not sure you like what you're doing. You're not sure if you're any good at it. You're questioning your purpose. Why am I here? How long can I keep this up? Like life just stresses you out. And sometimes you feel this more than others. Okay, so breathe, breathe, because I don't want anybody like hyperventilating here and thinking about these things. But the question that, that we're trying to get down to is how can we have joy instead of anxiety? I want to tell you, I didn't even realize that I needed this message until this morning. <laughs> You know, it's just, I don't know, it's just a whole bunch of things all swirling up, and sometimes they just hit all at once, and you're like, it, 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 it's hard. And, and what I want to do is give you some hope. There's, there's real hope for believers in Jesus, and we need this truth. So let me give you the big idea before we jump into Philippians chapter 4. Here's what I think um, is going to help us this morning, really trying to get practical about it. Note this, when you feel anxious, praying with thanksgiving gives you the perspective you need to choose joy. And I cannot tell you how many times I've been in this passage in Philippians chapter 4. We're going we're gonna to be starting in verse 4. How many times I've had to go here in my own life? Uh, how many times I've been in counseling? How many times I've just been coming along, brothers and sisters that are going through something where, like, quite honestly, you might need to just, like, mark this spot in your Bible, like, underline this, star this, put a bookmark in it. You're going to probably have to come back here a lot, okay? Philippians chapter 4, starting in verse 4. Here's what Paul says. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say, rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. 
The Lord is at hand. And we're pretty familiar with this part. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, there it is, let your requests be made known to God, and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Father, we need that. A lot of us need that right now. I'm very aware that um, this can be a fun season, and we love it, and there's just so much going on, and yet for a lot of us, it, 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 it feels like it's piling on, and it, 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 it sometimes just feels unbearable. And for some, this might just be kind of a, a regular occurrence, just struggling with stress and anxiety and fears and worry. And, and, and Lord, there's got to be something better. And, and your word says that we're called to rejoice. And, and, and it also tells us that that's a fruit of the Spirit. And so, Lord, we're praying that you would help us to submit to your Spirit right now, that we would listen to you and, and that your Spirit would fill us as we're, as we're hearing these things, that we would flesh this out, that, the, that your Spirit would be doing it a work in our heart so that what's coming out, that the fruit of that is joy. Lord, that we would have joy in the midst of whatever it is, no matter what it is that we're facing. And just believe that that's possible, and I pray that you would encourage us with it. I pray that you would make us more like yourself, that you would um, encourage us with your word and empower us to uh, flesh this out. It's in Jesus' name I pray, amen. Well, let me give you two expectations for believers. Let's just break this down, okay? Here's two expectations for believers when we're struggling with anxiety. Here's the first one. Here's, note this. You need to choose joy no matter what. Choose joy no matter what. Look at, look at it there in verse 4. He says, rejoice. Rejoice in the Lord always. I want you to notice that's a command. And that, that command, meaning it's not really an option, that command is, is aimed at our emotions, that we would be glad, that we would be cheerful, that we would uh, be full of joy, which seems to indicate, and this is really important, uh, that your attitude is a choice. Your attitude is a choice. Now, None of, we, none of us have a problem being told to rejoice because we like being glad. We like being happy and cheerful and, and full of joy, and we like expressing that. Our issue is with the always part. He says, rejoice in the Lord always. Now, Paul's just kidding about that, right? I mean, that, 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 he, I mean, that must be like he's just trying to exaggerate the point just, just so that we get it, so, so that... So that most of the time, we're, we're cheerful and, and, and joyful people because nobody can rejoice always, all the time. I mean, do you know what kind of a week I've had? And, 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 and what about people that are suffering right now? What about, what, what, what about those times of, of frustration and, and stress? I mean, are we supposed to be happy about everything that happens in our lives? Like, I walk over here and I stub my toe. I'm supposed to be like, sweet. I lose my job and oh, that is so awesome, so happy. That doesn't even make sense. So, so, so always, Paul, always? He's like, yes, always, all the time, no matter what. In fact, just in case you thought I was joking, he says, uh, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say, rejoice. Get it? Rejoice. And if that wasn't hard enough, then he tacks on verse five. 
let your reasonableness be known to everyone. That word reasonableness could be translated gentleness. It's, it's a relational word, meaning that we're, we're gonna have to react to people that are coming at us and, and we've gotta be kind and we've gotta be gentle and we need to be merciful to people who, who don't even deserve it. He's calling us to respond that way to everyone. Now there's somebody that's coming to your mind right now I don't know, as a coworker, neighbor, hopefully it's not somebody in your house, but you're like, surely it doesn't mean that person. Like everyone, Paul, every, even those people who hurt me, even those people who make my life difficult, even those people who don't deserve it, everyone? He's like, yes, everyone. I want you to be, be gentle, I want you to be reasonable to everyone, including that person. Okay, so this is crazy because what Paul has just done is he's highlighted the two things that often rob us of our joy. Our circumstances and people. Especially difficult circumstances and difficult people. And sometimes we're we're facing painful and confusing and and trying circumstances and there are are people who are just hard to deal with and they hurt us and they seem to make things worse. And what he's calling us to do is we're we're supposed to rejoice always, no matter what, in all circumstances and be gentle, be reasonable with everyone, no matter how difficult those people are being. But, but there's a clarification here that might be helpful for us. Look at it again in verse 4. Look at, I just want you to see this. Verse 4, he says, I, I want you to rejoice, but rejoice in the Lord. That's the key, that we would begin to understand that your joy is not found in your circumstances. In fact, it's not even dependent on your circumstances. Your joy is found in the person of Jesus. And when you have joy in Jesus, you can rejoice always, no matter what the circumstances are in, because it puts everything into perspective. In fact, A.T. Robertson is the one who said it this way, that, that only in the Lord is it possible to get a view of life as a whole that will stand the shock of sorrow and sin. Because here's the deal. Paul's not talking about walking around with some silly grin on your face and just pretending like you're happy about everything. That's not real. That's not encouraging. But what he's saying is he's giving us a command to rejoice in the one, the one who saved you, the one who met your deepest need, the one who gives you hope for this life and for all of eternity. He's just reminding you of all that you have in Jesus. And when you see that, and when you begin to see that my joy is found in him, him, it puts all of the circumstances into perspective, and you realize you always have reason to rejoice. See, perspective can change everything. In fact, I don't normally do this, but I wanted to share with you a scene from one of my favorite movies. Um, This is a scene from Indiana Jones. Any other Indiana Jones fans out there? Oh, yes. Like, I could literally watch Indiana Jones every single day, and I'd be happy. You just ask my wife. It's kind of the joke around our house, okay? So this is probably the best one. This is Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade. He's in the temple, and he's trying to find the Holy Grail, and he's got to hurry up because uh, if he finds the Holy Grail, it might be able to heal his dad, right? But he's going through this temple trying to find the Holy Grail, and he's got to face some challenges before he can find it, and he finds himself in front of this chasm, and he's got to take a leap 
of faith. Watch this. scenes in a movie ever. I know what you're going to be watching this afternoon, but I love that. It's like the camera angle uh, turns out and it, it reveals reality for a minute. So, so, so what's happening is that once you get the perspective that shows you the truth, that shows you reality, it changes everything. I think that's what's happening right here in the text in Philippians chapter 4 because tucked in between these commands to to rejoice and to be gentle and and, and reasonable and and, and to not be anxious is this little reminder of truth that's going to bring clarity, that's going to bring perspective that we need. Look at in verse 5. Here's what he says. You're you're to be, uh, you know, rejoice in the Lord always. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. Then he says here at the end of verse 5, the Lord is at hand. Or literally, it could be translated, the Lord is near. Now, what does that mean? Like, I, I, actually, I think that could mean uh, two different things. One, it, it could mean that the Lord is near as in uh, he is close in proximity. He is present with you. You can feel his presence right here. Or the second thing that it could mean is it could be referring to Jesus' return. And the fact that Jesus' return is at hand. He's coming. He told you he was coming. It's coming soon. It's going to happen. It's near. And and, and sometimes scholars debate whether which one is actually being uh, used here. What kind of meaning is is he really referring to? And it might be that he's really focusing on the Lord's return here. But I think we can affirm both. The Lord is at hand. The Lord is near. And that truth is the perspective that changes everything. Because once you know that, what that means is that no matter what it is that you are facing, no matter how difficult the circumstances are, no matter how tempting it is for you to give in to fear and to be anxious, God is with you. He is right there with you. He is close by, and you are not alone. And then he gives you this promise that Jesus is going to come again soon. And here's the good news. When he does, that means he is going to set all things right. And he's going to be the judge. You don't have to be the judge. So what it means is you don't have to be bent out of shape because life's not fair or, or, or get impatient and complain and, and worry and, and let people get under your skin and irritate you. And, and you don't have to let your circumstances or people rob you of your joy. Because here's what's, here, think, think about this. Here's what's happening. When, whenever I'm in a bad mood, 
Whenever I'm feeling or thinking like, I, I just, I can't rejoice right now. That means that I'm making a choice to believe I have no reason to rejoice. Or at least all of these reasons that I have to complain and to worry and to fear, all of those outweigh any reasons that I would have to rejoice. And is that true? Is, is that true? You see, if believers in Jesus focused on what is true, then we would rejoice always, all the time, no matter what. Uh, this is part of the reality of living in a broken world is that sometimes people um, are hit by horrible tragedies and hardships. I get that, that that happens. Sometimes you're going through it. But even then, we have reason to rejoice. So I want to say this gently, but, but I think it's important for us to kind of take inventory and just look at how I normally respond to life and what's going on. Because if I'm constantly overwhelmed, and people can see that, or, or I'm down and I'm depressed and I've just got this like, woe is me and life is so hard and I'm sad and miserable and focused on the, the, the negative here, or, or I'm living on edge and, and, and there's just worry and, and stress and tension and, and, and fear and just this perpetual state of like, I, I can't handle this and this is too much and I'm turning everything into a crisis and I'm complaining about these things and I, I'm, I'm living without joy, then it means I'm choosing to believe lies and I'm forgetting the truth about God and about my circumstances. As if this trial, this hardship, or whatever it is that I'm facing, that's looming large in my mind, which is understandable, but I'm living as if this is actually bigger than God. Like as if he can't handle this and, and he's left me all alone to deal with it by myself and it's probably gonna wreck me, it's probably gonna be the end of the story and it's all doom and gloom. Is that true? And, and there, there, is a, there is a battle that is going on in your heart and in your mind over what you are going to choose to think and believe. And I want to remind you that, that Paul, like he, he understands this, okay? He's, he's literally writing this from a prison cell. Okay, so life's not going great for him either. He, does, he understands hardship. The, the things are not always awesome. They're not always exciting. And yet what he's trying to say to us is, whether I have joy in my life should never be dependent on what kind of day I'm having or how people have treated me. My joy is in the Lord, and the Lord is at hand. He is near, and there is so much hope in the return of Jesus and so much comfort in his presence. So the question is, am I going to choose joy no matter what? But that leads us to the second expectation here, if you're taking notes. The second expectation for believers, uh, when you're struggling with anxiety, and I think this is, this is so key. We're trying to get really practical here. What, what, what do I do? What do I do here? Note this. Pray with thanksgiving. Pray with thanksgiving. Look, look at it again, verse six. Here's, here's what he says. Don't be anxious about anything. And if we're, if we're just reading that, we're like, well, that's easier said than done, but, but, but that's a command, okay? 
I'm not going to be anxious. Well, what, what, what am I supposed to do instead? What, what do I do? Well, here's the, here's the prescription for anxiety. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. You stop and pray. That's what you do. And I know that, like, that might sound cliche. Of course, the pastor's going to say that. But can I just ask you, like, is that your first inclination? Is that, is, is that your first instinct when life gets hard and, and, and you feel like the circumstances are just overwhelming and, and the unknowns of the future just feel like they're kind of threatening? Do you, is, is the first thing that you do to really just stop and pray? Because let's be honest, let's just confess, it's all too easy, and, and, but we have to understand it's so dangerous for us to do this, to just sit and dwell on it. And to let these thoughts, we just start letting all the, the worries and the what-ifs and the what-mights and the, and, and the fears, we let all of these things just dominate our thinking and dominate our focus, and it keeps us up at night, and we're not sleeping anymore. And, 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 and then it's like, I, just, I can't even stop thinking about it. And the more I think about it, the more I, I have to keep thinking about it. And then the anxiety level just keeps rising, and it gets bigger, and just keeps getting worse and more threatening and more scary and more depressing, and, and it's all consuming. And, and, and Paul's like, no, 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 no. Don't, don't be anxious. Don't be anxious about anything. But pray. Because prayer is the weapon that you can use to fight the lies and the fears that will make you anxious. But, but here's the important part. You got to know how to use your weapon. You got to know how to use your weapon because it's not just these little cries for help that we throw up. No, no, that's, sometimes that's all you got where you're like, Lord, just help me. Like, that's all I can do. But, 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 but I want you to notice what, what's supposed to frame our prayers and our requests. He says, uh, don't be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with what? You see it? That's the power of thanksgiving. When you feel anxious, praying with thanksgiving gives you the perspective that you need to choose joy. Now, here's the deal. You can just talk to God. It's pretty awesome that we can just bring it, and we can be raw and honest with him, and that's okay. In fact, we would even say that that's modeled for us in the Psalms. When we read, we see prayers that are just real and authentic, and you could just picture the guy just like bawling and snots going everywhere, and just life's a mess, and he's just being real with God. But even those candid complaints don't end in despair. Which means that even with your honesty, you cannot forget your theology. Don't forget who you're praying to. You are praying to the God who is in control of all things. And there is nothing that he can't handle. There's nothing that's too big for him. And he's already said, he is with you. The Lord is at hand. The Lord is near. And he will never forsake you. And he loves you. And his promise is that for those who love God, all things work together for good. There's a purpose that he is working to conform you into the image of his son, which means he has not left you alone and his hand is on you even in the midst of these difficult circumstances and he is sustaining you, he is strengthening you and he is making you more like Jesus and you have this assurance that if he has started a good work in you, he is going to bring it to completion because he's also given us this promise that he's coming again soon and when he does, he's gonna set all things right. There is so much hope 
You are praying to a God who is just. You are praying to a God who is all-powerful. You're praying to a God who is sovereign and in control and who is good and who is trustworthy. You can trust him no matter what it is you're going through. So then, if you're sitting there and you're just paralyzed by fear and anxiety and, and, and you're just dwelling on all of these thoughts and, or, or, or just wallowing in despair and, and, and you're feeling like, I just don't know what I have to be thankful for, then you've forgotten who you're talking to. Do you have any reasons to be thankful? Okay, so I think that's how we start our prayers. Because right? I think sometimes we're too quick to just rush in and we start asking for things and we start making our requests, which, which he encourages us to do. He says, let your requests be made known to God. But we're supposed to be doing that with thanksgiving, which means that we're praising him and we're rejoicing in who he is and all that we have in him before we turn our attention on our needs and our circumstances. So it means that for a lot of us, we, we, we need to change the format and what we're praying about when we rush in. We, instead of saying, okay, God, here's what I need you to do for me today. And, and, and God, can you please do this? And, and God, can you please give me this? And please do this and do this and do this and do that. Before all of that, we say, God, thank you that you are. And then we reflect and we dwell on the truth about who God is and what he's done, his character, his actions, his, his track record. And that perspective changes everything. I felt it even this morning, starting to pray, realizing like I should probably practice this too. And it's, all of a sudden it starts changing your perspective on your circumstances. You're seeing them differently now because you're seeing them in light of his sovereign goodness and his control and his grace that we don't deserve. I mean, you just start with the gospel. The fact that, that Jesus loves you and God, God loves you so much that he would send his son to die for you on the cross to pay for your sins even though you don't deserve it so that you can be forgiven, so that you can have eternal life. And there's nothing you're going to do that's going to change that. That'll change your perspective. That'll put life in this short amount of time into perspective of eternity and you start realizing that this is just light momentary affliction compared to the eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. And so instead of freaking out, instead of being anxious, instead of being stressed out, we're just, there's humble gratitude and thanks. Why don't you think about your prayers over the last few weeks? You don't have to, convince somebody else, just be honest. How much of your prayers over the last few weeks have been uh, focused more on the list of what you're asking God to do versus times of just praising and thanking him for who he is and what he's done? Really, this doesn't come naturally. In fact, because we are sinners, it's natural for us to be, to be self-focused and to process everything going on in light of how it's affecting me immediately and, 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 and focus on how this is making me feel and what I need. But, but listen, it is so dangerous for us uh, to, to turn our attention and to get our eyes off of him and, and focus on ourselves and our circumstances. 
And you also have to be aware that we have an enemy, Satan, who is warring against us, and he wants us to buy into these lies. He wants us to think only of ourselves and and, and dwell on all the uncertainties and just be crippled by fear and anxiety and, and, and forget about God and forget about all the things that we have to be thankful for. It is a battle for your heart and for your mind. It's a battle which actually makes this passage pretty sweet because I want you to see something. There, there, there's a promise in here. Uh, then if, if there's a battle for your heart and your mind, I want you to look at verse seven and, and just look at what God does. He is so good. Here's this, there's promise in verse seven that as you're praying with thanksgiving, he says, the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your what? Your hearts and your minds. That's pretty sweet. You need that. It's this peace that doesn't even make sense. I mean, how can you have peace in the middle of a battle, in the middle of war? I mean, this this is beyond comprehension. What's going to happen is people are going to watch you respond to your sufferings and your trials and the difficulties and the stresses of life differently, where where normally they would expect you to be overwhelmed by by anger and and bitterness and complaining and worry and fear, but instead you have this this determined sense of peace and calm, and they're not going to have an explanation for it. They're going to be at a loss for words. And quite honestly, it's going to surpass even your understanding and ability to explain it. It is the supernatural peace of God that is going to guard your heart and mind like a shield. It's, it's, it's guarding you, keeping you from thinking and believing things that simply aren't true. So that you're not going to start dwelling on all the what-ifs and the what-mights and the doubts and the fears and the worries. God is going to guard you from those things. And as he, is, as he is guarding your heart and mind, he is strengthening and enabling your faith to believe what is true and to pray with thanksgiving, to cultivate a heart of thanksgiving. Bring to mind all the things that you have to be thankful for. And God is gonna do that work in you. I think we probably all have scars where we've learned this lesson the hard way. We've been through some stuff. It's pretty special to me how even those times become reasons to be thankful. I was thinking about where Carissa and I have been in our married life, and um, we've been through seasons where our future was up in the air and just dealing with uncertainties and the unknowns and what's going to happen and how do we handle this. And We've been married 13 years now. We've actually been through some pretty crazy health scares and, and you know, just kind of re- reminds us, puts us in our place, reminds us that life is frail, it's short, and nothing is guaranteed. And we faced uh, challenges and some uh, rattling experiences and unexpected trials. And one of the things that we've learned is that the hard seasons can lead to some sweet times of worship. Because God gives this peace that's beyond comprehension or explanation. Some of you know that too, don't you? Like, I don't even know how to say it. I don't even know how to tell you this. We're able to just walk through darkness. Like we sang this morning, realizing that he makes that tremble. 
And, and we're able to walk through it with a genuine smile and joy in our heart because we're just so thankful that you know that God is good and he is with you. I want this for you, and I want to encourage you. Some of you need to hear this hope that you don't have to give in to worry and fear and anxiety. And when it rears its ugly head and threatens your faith and tempts you to just dwell on all these things, just drop to your knees and start praying and say thank you. Because Thanksgiving gives us the perspective that we need to see the truth and realize that we can choose joy no matter what. God, I pray that you would make that real to us. Thank you so much for what you've accomplished for us. Thank you that you're a good God. I pray that, that we would be a people that open up your word because we desperately need to know you. Lord, it's easy for us to dwell on our circumstances and the hardships and the things that we're all dealing with, and we're all going through it. We all have reasons to be stressed out. We all have reasons to, to have doubts and fears and uh, unknowns and the, and, and the worries and we don't have to live there. We don't have to be overwhelmed by those things. What an awesome thing that you can take your children and hold our hands and take us through the valley of the shadow of death and even there we will fear no evil for you are with us and your rod and your staff will comfort us. So we give you praise for your presence we give you praise that you are coming again. Thank you for the hope that we have because of Jesus. I pray that we would live in that hope and that joy today, this week. We give up dwelling on things that are not true and we would focus on what is and learn to be a thankful people. God, you are a good God and we love you and we give you praise for all that you've done. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen.